0: Good morning. How's everybody today? So excited to see everybody out this morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Acts chapter five. We're going to continue our study in the um, book of Acts today, um, starting in verse number where we left off last week in verse number 20 is where we left off last week. So we'll pick up there before we do that. Hey, there's something that um, I, I want to encourage us in at the church. You know, as our church um, grows, and I, um, I, I'll say that, you know, we've been here February of 2013. This church started. There was a there was a wall down here. There was eight-foot ceilings, and we had this narrow 17 and a half feet wide by 50 feet long sanctuary, and I had 65 chairs in there, and on, um, what was it, September 1st, the first Sunday in September 2013, we had our first church service here, and we had 65 chairs put out. Um, we didn't have any monitors, and we had uh, Destiny who was leading worship on a on a guitar, acoustic guitar, and we had like 70 people show up the first Sunday, so like five people had to stand on that first Sunday. But a lot of people were just coming, like, to help us out with our open house on our first day, and we leveled off a little bit. But immediately God told us that we needed to, to rent this other side of this building in 2013. And long story, I've told it before, kind of a fun story of how God, we stepped out in faith with nothing, and, and God did some things. And so what we've done, my wife and I—thanks, Dan— what what we've done, my wife and I, since we have started is, you know, my vision, my heart for a local church is that, you know, we're Calvary Chapel. So Calvary Chapel has a certain distinctive. It has a certain style. Um, Calvary Chapel is not a denomination in the fact that we don't send any money to anybody. They don't send us any money. We don't have any kind of um, governing body that oversees us. We're we're more of a, what we call a movement where, um, but, but Calvary does have some distinctives. They have a few things that um, they say, listen, this is our, our, our base kind of theology and doctrine and, and way that we function. And if you if you agree with this and you like this and you want to function within these parameters, you can be Calvary Chapel. You have lots of freedom. But if there's certain things that if you get outside of these parameters, God bless you, we love you, but you just can't call yourself Calvary. Just continue to do what you're doing under a different name. And, and that's kind of the Calvary Fellowship. So in a way, we're denominational. In a way, we're not like we're by, by – Definition, we're, our, our denomination is non denominational. <laughs> you know, actually, I, the, the term that, that I think actually is more appropriate is interdenominational. But that, that term, interdenominational, it always brings up red flags. People's like, what does that mean? So it's hard to use that term. But all that basically means is that from, no matter what denomination you're from, you're welcome here. It's interdenominational. So everybody's welcome. So um, there was a point to all this. Yeah, so we, um, all right, let me, let me get to my next, my next point. We're going to come back to that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hey, but I did want to say this. Listen, I want to put a plug in for our Sunday school, um, Wednesdays and Sundays. And it's always the case. You know what you don't do if you want to um, encourage volunteers? You don't sound desperate. So I'm not desperate at all. Like, we got so much help, we don't even need you guys but we always need help. So, um, it, it is important too, and it's not a huge commitment. If this is your home church and, and it's something that, and talk to God, like we don't know, nobody disgruntled disgruntled or serving cause they have to, we want you to serve because God's encouraged you or told you to, or you feel like, Hey, that's a need somewhere I can jump in. You don't have to be qualified. You just have to be willing to, to serve and God will do the rest. We'll, we'll find a place that, that fits you in your comfort zone, but we always need help. Talk to Jackie, talk to Lydia And um, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, you can do once a month. You can do twice a month. Um, Little involvement. Involvement can start slow, grow. If you have kids, um, newborn to sixth grade, you should start thinking about plugging in every once in a while to help out. Um, If you don't have kids, zero to sixth grade, then you should think about plugging in every once in a while to help out and and getting involved in that. Okay. So in Acts chapter 5, verse number 20, where we left off last week. It says, and this is something that I kind of had to rush through at the end of the sermon last week, and so I want to just touch on it as we finish up chapter 5 today. But it says, in verse, let's start in 17, so we'll catch it in context. 5.17, it says, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which was the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Verse 20 is surrounded with um, speaking quotations, right? There are some quotations before go and after life in verse 20. Is that correct? You guys have your Bibles? I think that's kind of what I was talking about, just having your Bibles, being Bereans. We encourage you to bring your Bible and um, open them up, study along with me, read for me, make your own opinions. Um, But here in verse 19... Um, who's speaking in, in verse 20? It tells you in verse 19. So an angel of the Lord. So Peter experiences a, a, a miracle. How many of you guys have had a, a literal angel show up in your life, um, let you out of prison, and then speak to you some words of advice? Anybody? No? But, but you know, the Holy Spirit does that work in our lives, similar ways. But this particular uh, occasion, I think we could all agree, was a pretty phenomenal point in Peter's life really for all of us. I mean, if you experienced uh, uh, an angel that visited you and gave you something, that, that would make an impression in your life. How many of you guys have anybody willing to raise their hand? Does anybody think they've ever seen an angel in, in person? couple? Yeah. I think my hand would be up too. I have this kind of thing that happened to me one time, and this person was homeless on the street, and, and I had passed by him. And, they were, and, and as I looked at him, they the, the the face was not a homeless person the face was that of an angel and it wasn't it was the eyes and it was something special it was just like that that look and I and I passed them and I turned around and they were gone and it was nowhere to go we were gonna under a bridge so I don't know maybe I saw an angel maybe I saw a homeless guy that just had a really good art of dis, disappearing in the middle of nowhere but um but but the Bible does say that be careful when you enter, entertain strangers because some of you will will um, unknowingly inter- being entertaining strangers, so be courteous and be hospitable, and and you never know where you might encounter um, an angelic appearance. Well, Peter has this moment. They're in prison. They've been in, put in prison. Do you remember why Peter and John are in prison in this in Acts chapter five here? For for what? They robbed a bank there in Jerusalem. <laughs> they were preaching and teaching. That's right. They were preaching and teaching the word of God, and it was contrary to Sadducees. How far at this point, Acts chapter 5, we talked about this last week, quiz time. How far away are we from Jesus dying on the cross and raising up? From, from Jesus dying on the cross to raising again, and where we are today when Peter and John are in jail, how, how much time has passed from Jesus raising from the grave to, to Acts chapter 5? Okay, we got the fifty days that we know of record, right? Because it was Pentecost and we're in Acts chapter two. We went fifty days to Pentecost. The church was born, and this is a chapter or two later, so maybe a month, two months, a week pass. So we're we're really close, right? To Jesus dying on the cross and raising again. Who 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 was responsible for Jesus dying on the cross and raising again? Well we know ultimately, spiritually, you're responsible. I'm responsible because you put Jesus on the cross. I put Jesus on the cross because he died on a cross to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. Jesus said to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember? Peter pulled out his sword. Everybody gives Peter such a hard time because Peter is like a bull in a china's closet. But you've got to give Peter a little bit of credit in this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane because it was suicide. The, the whole Roman army was there, and Peter wasn't a swords guy. He was a fisherman. He you know nothing about swinging a sword and fighting a gunfight, you know of his day. He pulls out his sword and he's and the thing is he doesn't even go after a soldier. He goes after this like serpent boy Peter does. And I mean he's not he's gonna he's gonna whack this guy right between his forehead, I'm trying to put that sword right here. And the guy dodges it, sees it last minute, and the sword bounce. Because I don't think Peter was like Zorro, cut his ear off. But he, he swung that sword and cuts the guy's ear clean off. Jesus picks his ear up, and the last miracle Jesus did, does is to heal somebody that one of the disciples hurt, you and I as disciples. But, but Jesus said to Peter, what do he say to him? He said, Peter, put your sword away. Nobody takes my life. I what? I give it. So the whole argument about the Jews are Christ killers, the Romans are Christ killers, the Sadducees are Christ killers is all nonsense because nobody took Jesus' life. He gave it. There was ponds, but Jesus said to Peter in that moment, he said, Peter, if I wanted to, I could call 12,000 legions of angels to my side or, or 12 legions of angels. A legion is a, is a Roman garrison of soldiers numbering 6,000. My mathematicians in here, 12 times six, 72,000 72, angels. Jesus said, I could call right now, Peter to the garden. If we, if we wanted to have a dog fight, if we wanted to have a sword fight, if we wanted to you know, throw hands, he said we we could we could we could call seventy two thousand angels, Peter, put your sword away. It's not a, it's not a, the problem is not a lack of power. I have plenty of power. Just real quickly, do you know what seventy two thousand angels could do in a fight? <laughs> we get the example: One angel of the Lord, Shenechereb. He, he, all the threats. He lays them out. He lays on top of them and he prays. He walks to the wall. He overlooks the wall of Jerusalem and Israel. The, Hezekiah. The, the entire Assyrian army is, is ready to come and attack him. hundred and thirty-five thousand soldiers, the Bible tells us. Hezekiah prays. He goes to sleep that night. He wakes up in the morning. He looks over the wall. 135,000 Assyrian soldiers dead on the battlefield. One angel of the Lord started a fight about midnight. And by the time Hezekiah woke up in the morning, angel 135,000, the Assyrian army zero. So one angel of the Lord wipes out 135,000 soldiers in one night. So I'm pretty sure 72,000 angels could take care of business. I'm sure they wipe out the whole world in probably like 12 seconds. So, so P- Jesus said, Peter, nobody takes my life. I give it. So, so Jesus, again, he gave his life. So who's responsible for the death of Jesus? Well, ultimately it's you and me. It's the sins. It's our sins that Jesus died for. And so when this, back to this angel, this angel shows up and he tells Peter to go out and lets him free. And he says to him, Speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, we ended last week with this statement. And again, this, this statement would have made a an impact on Peter's life. And, and I think so much so that if Peter says in his in his own writing, in Second Peter, you can turn there if you like. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. It's past Hebrews, past James. You come to Second Peter chapter 1. And listen to what Peter says. Now, this angel tells him to go back out into where they just arrested you and, and give the people some of the words of life. No. Part of the words of life. He says, go back out, pick a couple verses somewhere and teach a topical sermon on them. No. He says, give them all the words of this life. Now, I think this, this saying, again, that, that made an impression upon Peter. Because in his own writing, he says in verse number 3 of 2nd chap, uh, Epistle, chapter 1. He says, and his divine power has given us. All things, everybody say all things. things. And you've heard the dumb joke a million times, so maybe there's one that hasn't heard it. But all in Greek means all. All in the Greek means all, and that's just the truth. All things that pertain to life and godliness. So um, he says the divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Listen, within the Word of God, contained in the Word of God, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. I just want to encourage you guys in that. As a student of the word of God, if you become, the Bible says for you, study to show thyself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Who's that that directed at? Is that directed at the pastors and preachers and teachers? If you're a Christ follower, if you're a believer in Jesus, then I, I have to tell you that this command is for you. Study to show thyself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed. Why would you need not to be ashamed? Because you're doing your your diligence. You're doing your homework. You're studying the Word of God. You're reading the Word of God. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. And and, and that the Word of truth, Peter tells us from the angel and from his own experience in life, that that the Word of God has all things that pertain to life and godliness. So, So what pertains? All things that pertain to life. Just unpack that sentence in your mind. What things pertain to life? What do you need to know that pertain to life? How to live? How to do what? How to how to be a father? How about that? How to raise godly children as a mother? How to nourish? How to how to how to be a good wife and love and, and love and respect your husband? How to be a good husband and love your wife as Christ loved the church? How to be a good friend? How, how to be used by God? How you know in every area? How to be an employee? Everything that you need for life and godliness, the Word of God has. And, and how does it work? How does it happen? Is it just, you know, there's not really a, a, a precise manual on any of those things that I just mentioned. Okay, how do, I, how do I be a good employee? What chapter and verse do I go to for that? Yeah, lots of Proverbs will help. There's lots of stuff, lots of practical, practical, just wise things the Bible says. You know, the one I like the best is when people say, oh, I read the Bible, I don't understand it. I take him to a verse that says, be kind to one another. What part of that don't you understand? You know, it's, it's pretty simple. So yeah, lots of practical things. But listen, coupled with the Word of God is something that's super dynamic to you and I. It's called the, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if I go, I'll send a what? A helper, a comforter will come and he'll, he'll remind you of all things that I taught you. So you take the Word of God with the Spirit of God who lives inside of you, who makes the word of God come to life and you, you put the two together and you have all the things you need for life and godliness. You, you point your life at Jesus and becoming more like him every day, loving Jesus more every day, falling more in love with Jesus. You're, you're gonna find the things you need that pertain to life and godliness. You know, I think it's so profound and powerful sometimes. You know, we, we, we get these little like tidbits in the Bible that really, they, they should be mind blowing if we stop for a minute to where the Bible says, "I'll give you everything." You know, like if somebody came to you, people make millions and billions. Tony Robbins, don't raise your hand if you're like a Tony Robbins pupil. Okay, <laughs> I might shame myself by saying something derogatory towards you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Tony Robbins, I'm sure has some great stuff, but it's not godly. I don't have no time for it. But anyways, he made billions of dollars, right? With what? What was he selling? Happy, healthy, wealthy. He was selling prosperity. He was selling a lifestyle that would teach you how to be good in business and make money. And of course, it sells. Like if I could come up and tell you, hey, this is how you'll be good in business. This is how you'll be happy, healthy, wealthy. This is how you'll and, and he did and, you know? And this is how you'll be prosperous in your business and your portfolio will explode. And you know these these seminars that just went absolutely nuts and the books went crazy and still to this day. But yet the Bible does all of that. The Bible says to you. The very simplest, but yet profound way. Listen, do you know the Bible promises you prosperity and success in everything you do? Anybody, anybody know where you'll find that? How about another spot? A couple places in the Bible. Two places I think of up that I know of where the Bible promises me prosperity and success. So again, if I could come to you this morning, you know, and I say, hey, just for nineteen ninety nine, I will give you, I will promise you in your life prosperity and good success. Would anybody get out a $20 bill for $19.99? Yeah, you probably would. And yet the Bible says that if you if you meditate on the Word of God day and night and be careful to do all that's in it, God will give you good success and prosperity and, or prosperity and good success in all that you do. That's all it. I'll read my Bible morning and night. Do what it says. Yeah, it's that simple. That simple. Pastor, is this another one of those sermons, read your Bible more? That's all I got. I told you guys, I don't know nothing else. Just read your Bible more. Hey, but on the last little note on this, listen, we'll go on. The Apostle Paul, that, this is Peter now. One of the things we do doctrinally as we study through the Bible is we try to look at different examples. What did Jesus say about it? What did the Apostle Paul say about it? Um, what did Peter say about it? You know, and so we catch it from different angles and we get this kind of cool perspective. Well, the, on the same idea, the Apostle Paul went to a city called Thessalonica. And while he was there, he started a church. And actually, it's a very important piece of of biblical history because Paul wrote a letter to the church that he started in Thessalonica. What's it called? Thessalonians. It's in your Bible. Thessalonians holds the keys to, to biblical prophecy concerning the rapture, concerning the second coming of Jesus, like some very important things in Thessalonica that happened there that Paul wrote to them about. Well, Paul left and he went to a city called Berea, and when he was in Berea, He never wrote, uh, he wrote him a letter. He never started a church there. We don't have any book of Bereans in in the Bible. But then Paul said this about the two cities. And Thessalonica, again, being an important stop on Paul's life journey. Paul said, I went to these two cities. And he said, the men and the women in Berea, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Because those in Berea studied the word daily to see if these things were true. So the Apostle Paul said he, he, he commended them. He encouraged them to go back and check what he was saying, if it was true or not. When he was in Thessalonica, it was the Apostle Paul. They just believed him, which is okay. I mean, the one person you can actually don't have to double check is the Apostle Paul. He's cool. You, don't, you just believe what he says, I promise. But, but even the Apostle Paul, he's not mad at the Bereans because they didn't believe what he said. They went and checked it for themselves. He says they're better than those in Thessalonica. So for you, don't believe what I say, right? Go for yourself and check it and see if these things are true. And, and that's being a Berean. We call that in church Bereans or being Bereans. There are people that, you know, that, that, that we should commend you, that you go and you, you have a personal relationship, a personal study that you know that the word of God contains all things that you need for life and godliness. Now, I have a role as a pastor, a local pastor. It's a biblical call and it's a part of the body of Christ. that's described multiple times in the New Testament. One of, one of my job or my job definition is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what, what a pastor or teacher is supposed to do, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So my job is to equip you to go out and be the arms and the legs of the gospel. The church grows when you go out and you invite people and you share the gospel with your family and your coworkers and your circles. And every one of you has some part of this valley, an area that you're a part of, that you're a, a super spy in. For the lord jesus christ that you get to share the gospel subvertly in in your circles and, and and through that the gospel grows and and but yet i'm not superior to anybody i'm not below anybody we're all part of the body of christ and the, and, the, and the lord says as we all function within the body that i just happen to be the obnoxious mouthpiece i'm sorry that some of you are the big toe that's just what god's called you to be you just gotta roll with it you don't think the big toe is important try hitting it with a hammer You don't think the big toe is important? Try cutting it off and walking down the street. (laughs) Every part of the body is important. Every part does their part. And and, and then God's God's reward. Listen, God's reward for your life in heaven, it's not based on what part of the body you were. I told you guys this a hundred times. Hopefully a few of you got it by now. What's it based on? That was three. Some of you guys heard them cheat off of them. What was it? What's it based on? Faithfulness. How faithful you are to what God told you to do. That's, that's what your reward's going to be based on. I don't get a better reward because I was called to stand in front or Miss Sue because she's over there keeping care of your babies or um, Heather working in the, in the coffee shop. It's based on how faithful you are to what it is God told you to do. So be faithful. What has God told you to do? Where has he told you to serve? Go serve in the children's ministry. <laughs> oh, I think I just heard him for you. All right. Hey, we're never going to get through nothing today. Let's go to, um, that was last week's sermon. Anyways, I just preached it again. All right. 21. So when they heard that they entered the temple early in the morning and they did what they taught, Hey, as you go through the gospels, just really quickly, that word taught there. Um, I have it highlighted underlined in my Bible. As you go through the gospels, as you go through the book of acts, it's something that I highlight because I think it's something that's so consistent. Um, of the disciples and of Jesus himself, that it's something that you and I should model. When you get an opportunity, you teach. I'm, uh, my particular pastor, you know, and it was, it was crippling, for, it felt like it was crippling as a young pastor for a lot, and he would tell me, if you ha- ever get an opportunity, and when you get an opportunity to teach, pick a chapter of the Bible and teach a chapter of the Bible. I don't try to come up with some kind of, a, just teach a chapter of the Bible. And so that's what I did kind of because I was forced to for, for a lot of years. And when I got an opportunity to teach, I would teach a chapter of the Bible. But it's such sound advice. It's such good advice. Keeps you on the straight and narrow. And, and it's consistent really with what we see them doing. They're teaching, teaching, preaching, teaching. And so I just always underline that, highlight that when I see that in my Bible. And here we have Peter. And, he's, and he goes and he teaches the people. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with the elders and the children of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And now when the high priest, the captains of the temple, the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what would be the outcome. So one came and told them, saying, look, the men whom you put in the prison are standing in the temple teaching. That's underlined highlight, underlined, underlined and highlighted, teaching the people. So kind of a cool little deal here. They get put in prison. This time the angel of the Lord shows up. He lets them out of prison. He tells Peter, go and give the people all the words of this life. And then the and then they, the Sanhedrin goes to get Peter and John out of the prison. They're not there. They go back. They said that the prison was securely shut. They're gone. And then someone says, hey, i just seen those guys you're looking for. They're out where you arrested them preaching the gospel. They're out teaching. So kind of cool deal. They just went out boldly right back to where they were supposed to be or where they were when they were ar- arrested the day before. And then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence. <laughs> hey, boys, would you mind, you know? Our prisons can't hold you and not going to waste time putting these cuffs on you. For they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they sent them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach? To teach what? In this name. You know, it's, it's in this name, right? The world they, they won't even say Jesus. All they say is in this name. What what name were they talking about? They were talking about Jesus. And it's so true and it's so consistent of the world. They hate Jesus. You know, and, and it's just true. And, and and Jesus said if they hated me, they're gonna hate you. And and really, as Christians, just we're we not gonna be loved by everybody. It's okay. It doesn't doesn't mean we, we develop a bad attitude about it or we write anybody off because we're called to a higher standard. We're called to love um, the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, love our neighbors, ourselves, be nice to people, love our enemies, pray for those who despitefully use us. But at the same time, if we're not in a popularity contest. It's not a license to be rude or to, to be short or be untactful in the way that we live or preach the gospel. But at the same time, um, it's encouraging to me, listen, that, that when people come against you, they don't hate you. They don't hate who you are. What they do is they see Jesus in you and something about them hates Jesus. I can remember a pretty impactful um, sermon I heard one time from a guy named Bill Weiss. And Bill Weiss, I don't know if you guys follow his ministry at all, but he's the guy that does the 23 minutes in hell. And some of those stories, you know, like the guy who died and went to heaven in the car accident, he came back and he wrote the best selling book. And, you know, some of them, I don't know, I take with a grain of salt and, and others. I, I, I read them. I like them. I think the testimony's good. And um, but this particular one is one of those deals He he. His story is that he says he had a vision, and, 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 and he went to hell, literally, physically was taken to hell in his vision, and, and then he describes what he saw in hell. You know, what's fascinating is, is even if you discount the fact that he wasn't literally in hell, even if he stayed you know, in his bed, in his dream, in his vision, and he saw these things, but his testimony is that he literally went. But anyways, whether you believe that he went or not, what he testifies is Scripture, and then when you, when, you, when you take his story and, and you compare it to what the Bible says about hell, they, they match up. So that's good enough for me. You know, there's I don't know how many, but there's like hundreds of verses that talk about hell, that mention hell in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But he says in his testimony that he he, he encountered demons. And, um, and, 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 and and in this story, they, they were so hateful to him. And he asked the Lord, and he said to the Lord Jesus, he said, why did the demons hate me so bad? And he said that Jesus said to him, they didn't hate you, they hate me. Yeah. And because they hate me, they, they saw me in you and they hate you. And, and that's what Jesus said, is that the world is going to hate us. And here they, they won't even speak the name. We told you no more in this name. You know, oftentimes if you come home and maybe you're in a family and it's not religious or anything, and you say, hey, I've become a born again believer in Jesus. You know, oftentimes the results, if you, you tell your family, you tell your coworkers, you tell your neighbors, they'll be like, oh great, that's good for you, that'll help you. But just don't become a Jesus freak. Just don't become one of them Bible thumpers who believes that Jesus is coming back. You know, because they'll accept the, the concept, but just don't, get, don't really, you know, go, go too deep into it. And, and then it's okay. So here they say, who in this name, and look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And you intend to bring this man's blood on us. So powerful. How would you like someone to say to you, you filled Tooele County with this man's doctrine. <laughs> I did. Let's, let's keep doing that, right? You filled Tooele County with this man's doctrine. Like they think they're cursing him. But that's what they're called. And that's what we live to do is to bring the gospel to Jesus. And, and then they said, bring this man's And you intend to bring this man's blood on us like it was negative. What did they say to Pontius Pilate when they were wanting Jesus to be crucified? They said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And now quickly, maybe possibly within months of those exact words coming out of their mouths, they're now saying to the disciples, oh, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Sorry, honey, you did that to yourself already. That's a done deal. And in verse 29, it says, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Hey, say this with me. We ought to obey God rather than men. One more time. We ought to obey God rather than men. So now we have this um, moral debate that, that is brought up by this verse and this idea. We ought to obey God rather than men. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the maybe the moral debate or dilemma on. Um, um, Moral disobedience or civil disobedience, right? You you break the law of the land. Um, you obey God rather than men. Now I'll tell you, the Bible is very clear in Romans chapter thirteen. You can make a note that you are called to obey the laws of the land. Okay, God doesn't want you to to be disobedient to the laws of the land, all of them. You know, I, I think that y, you know God really doesn't want us. I I don't know. And I think there's maybe certain people that are called to this or have a special call. But, you know, like we we don't do a bunch of picketing and rioting and, you know, protesting and gathering and and these types of things. Because really, honestly, the the style that God has given us is that it's ineffective And it it doesn't really we can combat, and we can fight. And um, but but if you share the gospel of Jesus with somebody and the Holy Spirit comes into their lives and of their own because they've received Jesus in their life and the Holy Spirit begins to, to, to work, what's going to happen to their opinions? What's going to happen to their, their choices that they previously had in life? They're going to begin to change, right? They're going to begin to become more like Jesus. And maybe they were pro-choice before they became a born-again believer in Jesus. And then through a period of time and reading the Bible and studying the Bible, they feel that that's not the heart of God and that it, it is murder. And then they, 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 through the work of the Spirit, begin to change their opinion about that. Maybe there's other issues in life that they had before Jesus that as they become a follower of Christ, those things begin to change. And that's kind of our, 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 our plan is that rather than go and, and be obnoxious and confrontational and, you know, that, that if, we, if we love folks and we give them, the, that ultimately you can argue with somebody, but you, I've never once argued somebody into the kingdom of God. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says for me and you, don't cast your pearls before swine. Do you know what that means? If you if you perceive, here's what the proverbs say. The proverbs say, "Do not answer a man according to his folly." And then you know what the next verse says? Answer a man according to his folly. Well, which is it? Don't answer a fool according to his folly. The next verse, a- answer a fool according to his folly. You're like, huh? What? Where's the mistake? Because there's 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 a There's a perception, there's a a wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit to discern. There's times when you're casting your pearl before swine and you're not supposed to answer that fool according to his folly because it's falling on deaf ears and you're just arguing and God is not interested and there's no fruit that's happening. And there's other times that a fool really is learning and he's growing and you can correct him and you can help him and what you're saying is being received. And in that time you would share with the fool. So, so, again, if, if, if we don't go out and we don't riot, because, listen, I don't think that God wants us to have a reputation of being rabble-rousers or insurrectionists or these kind of things. The Bible is pretty clear that we are, for the most part, just to be simple, law-abiding citizens. But there comes an exception, and that's what this verse is about, right? There comes an exception when the law of the land contradicts the law of the Word of God. When the, when, the, when the law of the land, and then we're getting a reprieve now because the administration that we're currently under is, is making some huge headway in the areas of religious freedoms. President Trump said this last week in his speech, we don't muzzle pastors or preachers in this country. They're a part of the fabric of this country, of this land, for the last 200 years, and we don't muzzle them, and we, we, we you know, they have an opinion, they can share it. He's working to repeal, you know, it's, it's illegal for me to tell you which candidate to vote for and not to vote for. I, 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 from the, from the pulpit, if I do, there's a law that says they can take away our church's 501c3. Listen, they can have it. (laughs) And, 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 and he's working to repeal those laws. Here's who you vote for. You vote for the party that's not killing babies. You vote vote for the party that has religious freedoms. You vote for the party that's for the nation of Israel. And just by the way, that's President Trump right now. So you vote for President Trump. That's who you vote for. (laughs) Unless there's somebody else that's going to defend those things. You know, just on the one issue alone, uh, listen, and, and, and listen, I, I, I try to be honest and fair, but I, how, how can I just speak the truth if we don't say what, what the truth is? Listen, here's the truth. If you, if you vote Democratic as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, and you find if you can find a candidate whose, whose party bill is, is not to destroy unborn babies up until the time of, of birth. You know, that I don't, I don't get it. You know, I, I talk to people, believers. It's their, you know, as a pastor, I meet lots of people. I'm born-again believer in Jesus. Love Jesus, you know. But I vote, I vote for then super democratic. And I always ask them, how, how can you vote with your conscience as a believer in Jesus and, and, and vote for a party that's, that's, that's openly passing bills, that their whole platform is to pass bills to kill babies until the time they're born? It doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. That they're, you know, I'm pretty sure the Bible says that God will bless those who bless Israel. And God will curse those that curse Israel. You can't be a believer in Jesus, a Christ follower, and have a problem with the fact that your God is a Jew. I'm sorry. I wish he was like Brazilian or Mexican or something, you know, but he needed somewhere to go. He went to Israel. He's Jewish. You know you know where he's going when he comes back? It ain't going to be Seoul Korea. It's not going to be Japan. It's not going to be Twilly, Utah. It's going to be Jerusalem, where he was born, where he died. So, you know, again, we're, we're pro-Israel. We're not, we don't put him above anybody else or below anybody else, but the reality is it's Bible. And so, so yeah, we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to try to pick administration. We don't want to be on the side that's against the, the side that God says he's going to bless. And I know the world doesn't get that. Your friends aren't going to get that. Oh, you, you just, if that land belongs to Israel, you can't just say that the Palestinians don't have a home there because, you know, your Bible says that it belongs to Israel. It doesn't work. Well, sorry, it works for me. And I know who I read the last page. I know who wins in the end. You know, there was a um, a very disturbing movie that we watched. It was called um, Kermit Gosnell Story, America's um, Most Prolific Serial Killer. Does anybody remember the Kermit Gosnell story? It was a big deal because he was on trial and, and they, they came into the courtroom where the media should have sat. And they had rows and rows and rows of of, of chairs marked off for the media and they were completely empty. And and one reporter came in and, and, and put all the empty rows. The media wasn't covering it. There was this Kermit Gosnell was an abortion doctor out of Philadelphia who had killed more people than anybody in American history through abortion. He was infamous because... He, he, would, he would perform late-term abortions. He would kill babies at, at any stage, and people knew that, that they could come to him. He would take scissors, and he would put them in the back of their neck after they were born alive. And, and finally, after case, after case, after case, one of his workers took a picture because she said the baby was so big that the baby deserved a story and, a, and deserved to at least be known the baby was so large. And then they began to investigate him, and they put him on trial, and then they looked into his practice, and it was wicked. There was a movie made about it, very difficult movie to watch. The things that took place in the practice, you just, you just cry through the whole movie. It's gut-wrenching. I'm not necessarily recommending it unless you got the stomach for it. But as a result, he was convicted on three accounts of, of murder and sentenced to life in prison. A- and the movie was intended, the guy who played Superman was the, was the character in it. President Trump actually showed the movie in the White House. Um, a couple of years ago when it came out, um, Christian made film and it was intended to bring us to the reality of the, the evils of abortion and, and what this guy was doing. Well, you know, as a result, you would think that, that people would have would have passed laws and would have done something to, you know, to stop this. But instead, what 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 Mayor Bloomberg did in New York City right after this whole thing kind of blew up and was shown in the White House and 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 he passed a law in New York that now it was legal to abort babies to full term, that it was illegal to um, resuscitate them or revive them if they were born alive, and he, um, and, and he made it illegal to prosecute any abortion doctors. So his response to the Kermit Gosnell case was no abortion doctors in our, in our state never need to worry about going to prison for what they do. That's the way they responded. He painted the city of New York and Manhattan with rainbow colors the day the bill passed to celebrate it in the streets of New York. Anybody follow that? That was about, what, a year ago, a year and a half ago, two years ago? And, yeah, it's just unbelievable. All right, I'm off my voting block. Let's go back to it. But, yeah, 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 all right, enough said. So the point being this, that this is what we were talking about before I kind of got off on a personal tangent. Listen, that that there there comes a time... When God calls us to civil disobedience, we've already established that God wants us to obey the laws of the land. Unfortunately for me, that means the speed limit that is included. That's a law of the land. But the good news is for everybody in here, you know, you'll you'll easily be able to find me in heaven because I'll be the only guy there with has no right foot because that thing's evil and not going to heaven. (laughs) But the rest of me will be there. So you'll just see me limping around in heaven. But. We're, we're to obey the laws of the land until they contradict the word of God. You know, and we, we were moving against religious freedoms in this country. And I remember 20 years ago, my pastor saying, there's going to come a day when, when, when if I preach Romans chapter one from the pulpit on Sunday morning, that they'll arrest me. And Romans chapter one is a chapter that, that just says that homosexuality is a sin. But you know what? I mean, it doesn't mean that we're, we're anti-homosexual or we hate anybody. The Bible says lying is a sin. I preach that. The Bible says if you're a heterosexual man married and you have a affair outside of your if – you, if you're sleeping with somebody that's not your wife, that's a sin. We preach that. You know the, you know the thing that on, on that topic that, that really just it, – again, it's, it's the world hates Jesus. The world hates us for some of these reasons. And we're not we, – we're called to love people. Listen, and we do love people, but I also, I know how to read. And the Bible says these things are sin. And so if the Bible says that, I'm going to say it. But that it will be deemed hate speech in this country if you read or you, you preach from Romans chapter 1. Well, if that that day, well, again, we've gotten a reprieve from that. That's where I got off. That's where I was when I got off on Trump. but. We, we've got to reprieve because of the religious freedoms that and, and this this particular administration is, is fighting for our religious freedoms. Do some do some research. You'll be impressed with some of the things that have been done in the areas of religious freedom. And as a pastor, I'm very keen on it. And, it, and it's, it's real and it's true and it's happening. And so but that day could come again. You know, Lydia's dad um, has served the Lord as a pastor for 45 years. He's, he's probably one of the most selfless person people I've ever met in my life. He spent his whole life, I watched it, living for other people. Two different orphanages, one in the Philippines and one in Africa, that he's raised millions of dollars and made a difference in, in, in kids' lives in the Philippines and in Africa to this day. Yesterday he was in Uganda where he's starting a Bible college to 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 serve Ugandan people. He's, he, when his wife was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, a guy in our church named Charlie, his wife was also diagnosed a couple of weeks later with a brain tumor. If Charlie was standing here, he'd say, "I love Pastor Joe because the day my wife was diagnosed with a brain tumor, I walked into the hospital, and he was standing in the lobby, and and my and I knew that his wife was just diagnosed with terminal cancer." And he's dealing with that at home and he's standing in the lobby of the hospital. When I got there, he beat me to the hospital. And that story, hundreds of times, over. You know, he talks to the news and Oprah Winfrey's famous for it. Any pastor, leader, teacher she gets on, she only cares about one thing. And she didn't actually, but let's just pretend. She gets Pastor Gerald on the, on the Oprah show. And she only wants to know one thing. She doesn't care about how many children have been saved in Africa,